Jesus stood for people that others didn't want to stand with. Jesus stood with people that others didn't want to stand for. And I think we talked about last week in, in the book of Daniel that we need to stand. As, as the body of Christ, we need to stand. But in order to stand, we need to first sit and have a conversation. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus was so good at empathizing with people and understanding the heart of God and what God wants for people is he sat down and had conversations with people. And so today, uh, I have asked one of my dear friends uh, to come, and we're going to have a conversation uh, you know where this is probably headed because you've been watching this on social media. Uh, you've seen the news outlets. You've seen what's happened with the atrocity uh, and, and of the murder of George Floyd. And it's just on everybody's lips. And so today we're not just going to talk about race and racism and justice, but we're going to talk about the heart of God and a way forward. And this is a conversation that probably should have been happening not only in our church, but in the church long before uh, George Floyd's death. So I apologize on behalf of the church that this is happening a little late, but I'd rather do it late than never. And so we're going to have a conversation today, and I'm honored to have one of my dear friends. Would you please give a warm Colonial Hill welcome to Pastor Tony Wofford. Can we hug? Is that okay? I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody because of COVID and everything, but uh, you can take your mask off, Bob. You don't have to wear that up here. Uh, <laughs> One of my favorite stories about Tony, I went to a Texas Tech basketball game with my, with my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. And I had a uh, Ford truck that I'd put a, an alarm system in. And the, the key, the remote on the alarm, like the battery died. So I went to open it with my physical key and it set the alarm off. And the alarm was so good it shut down the truck. I couldn't start the truck. And the alarm company wouldn't open till Monday. This was on a Saturday night. And I had a radio show on Sunday morning. So God would have it like three cars parked down is Tony and his son. And so we piled into that little single cab truck, <laughs> yep. all four of us. It came back to Snyder. Came, yeah, we didn't have enough seat belts in that truck to right. get home, but we, they got us home. And then I, I really got to know your wife over the last few years, and she's responsible for about 50% of this. <laughs> Bob, how are you so thin? I know who you're married to. I tell folks I do a lot of thinking, and I burn up a lot of calories thinking. <laughs> That's my story, too, and I'm sticking to that one. Well, I have said multiple times that, uh, and I've told you this, that, that I never understood in the Bible where it says, uh, wh whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And yes. I've always wondered, how do you eat for the glory of God? And then I had your wife's peach dumpling, and I'm like, glory <laughs> to God, I understand that verse now. So, um, you know, one thing I've always admired about you, Tony, is that you literally can walk into a room, and it could be full of white people, full of black people, any percentage in between, and you just have a way of really being transcendent in that room, and you make everybody feel inclusive. How, how did God develop that gift in you? Is that something you've had from early on, or because or, you're really good in, in, in any environment that you're put in? I, I think, first of all, let me say this. I, I love this, this church, this body. I've done services in here. I've helped with services in here. My daughter was married here. Um, and I know a lot of the congregation that go to church here. And I love it. I mean, you know, I love First Baptist. I love Colonial Hill. I mean, it's, it's just good people. Okay. One of the things I had to do, I mean, I think I, this is what I, where I came to. My dad passed when I was 25 years old. Got killed in an automobile accident, pickup accident. Turned over in the pickup road and turned over on him. 
and, and he killed him. Well, at that time, I had I'm left Lovington, New Mexico in 1974 after I got married, moved to Snyder, went to work for Amico Pipeline. Well, I was close to my dad. I mean, we, I grew up in L.A., uh, moved away from there when I was 13, and I, but I was close to my dad. I went every place he went. You know, we did a lot of stuff together, um, and I loved him. But I, I wanted to know more about him. I wanted to just dig into you know who he was. I was always around my kinfolk out there, and we were a good family. So then we moved to Lovington, and you know things started transpiring. And then one day, boom, he's gone. And I, I mourn for that. And I still, I tell people I love my mom, but you know what? When I get to heaven, I want to see Jesus first, and then I want to know where my dad is. That's how much I love him. So then I realize, and the Lord kind of led me through this, that after he was gone. What I was really, really spiritually looking for was that relationship with my heavenly father. So I had, to, I had to start digging into that and then the Lord began to really show me who I was. You, you, have, to, you have to know who you are. You have to, to identify yourself with the body of Christ and know who you are in him and know the positive things that you have in him. I can do all things through Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. I see, I'm seated on the right hand of the Father. I, I mean, all of these scriptures just, you know, I studied them and began to look at them. So then I started, I'm confident in the Lord and what he can do. I, I, I buried that old man, Tony Walford, because he was a bad dude. I mean, he was a heathen, you know. But I had to come out of that heathenism and come out of that old traditional stuff and find my way in Christ. So I buried that old man. This is what I tell people. You have to die to yourself, bury that old person, and don't put a tombstone there because tombstones are places that identify who's there. You don't want to know where this dude is. You need to bury him somewhere and not know where he is so that you don't go back and dig up those old memories. And that's what I did. I mean, there was a time in this, in this city where I had to walk around with my head down and kick my lips because I was, you know, just a, a bad person. But the, and I wanted to run, but the Lord told me, if you don't run, if you'll surrender your life to me, I'll make something out of you. And I think he did, and he's not through with me yet. So when I walk into a room, I just be myself. That, that's it. And I don't care. And, and you're not the only person that's told me that. I don't care who's in there. I'm just, that's just who I am because Christ has made me that. Good. I've surrendered those old hard things to him, and he's made me that person. Yeah. Let me ask you this. I, I, this, this last week, uh, I was tucking my kids into bed, and my oldest, Zach, who's 11, he, I said, do you, do you know what's going on in our country? I mean, it's everywhere, but he's not on social media. So I didn't know how, how aware he was, but he, he was definitively aware. And um, So we talked about George Floyd, and we talked about hate we talked about racism and he asked me a question and it just it 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 broke my heart he goes why would you hate somebody because of the tone of their skin and i didn't have an answer for him i said i there's there's not a reason for that and so we just we had a we had a cool ministry moment of just like that's what god's called us to do is to value all people what is so critical for us and 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 predominantly we're a white church what is so critical for us to understand in this moment? How do we move forward and, I don't want to say judge somebody, but not on the color of their skin, but as Dr. King said, on the content of their character? 
How do we do that practically? I think a practical way to do it is to be sensitive to what's going on in our country. Just be sensitive. There, there's something, I'm, this is where I am. I don't look at a lot of social media. I look at some. I don't look at a lot of movies that take me back to the slavery days and all the, you know, the bad things that were done. I don't, I don't look at very, very few of them. And the reason is, is because it stirs up my flesh. So I don't, I stay away from it. Mm. And I try to stay focused on, in on the positive things in the word of God. There's stuff that's going on. I think be sensitive. You know, if, you, if you're, especially on social media, don't, don't get on there and, and give an opinion that, that makes Colonial Hill look bad. Let me put it that way because you're a member here. Don't get in there, get, get on there and make, um, tarnish this relationship. You may have a, a, a black brother or brown brother that you've been in relationship with for years. And then for that one split second, that moment that you get on social media and you answer somebody or you say something that kind of tarnishes the moment, you've just tarnished that relationship you have with that mm -hmm. person that you've had all these years. So just be sensitive to the moment. Um, George is just one of many yeah. that have been done that away. Yeah. And, and you know what? You know what the, the odd thing, not odd, but just the different thing about this is God is using this, this moment to say, folks, church, you need to wake up. Did I do it? I didn't do it, but, but you, you need to wake up. This, when the world gets dark, that's when the light of Christ should shine more, and that's through his people. Okay. You know, I think, I think that's a really good. You know, you mentioned a couple of things that cued some things in my mind. I, I don't think this can change at the legislative level. I, I don't think that you can put a law that changes men's hearts. That's right. Can't do it. And you mentioned, you know, don't get on social media and say something that might offend a brother. But I think the opposite. I think we need to be on social media, but advocating for my black brothers, my brown brothers, my, the, yep. the people of color. I, yep. I need to be an advocate because I yep. think... There is a sin in indifference and a sin in silence. Yes. By, by, by not speaking, we're almost advocating. Yep. If we know there's an issue and we don't do anything about the issue, then we are the issue. Right. We, right. we have to be more vocal as a church. Yep. You mentioned that you don't want to like relive some of those moments in your past, but when you see something like what's happened with George, um, I'm sure it brings back maybe memories of where you were mistreated or you, you um, felt fear or can... Can you share maybe one of those times? Because I think it's hard for us, some people in the room say, I'm not racist, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist if right. we haven't experienced it. Right. Can you, as somebody that we know and love, and, and I mean, you're a mayor for crying out loud, yep. can you maybe share a, an experience or so that, that might help us understand like how real it is even in our community? You know, uh, um, and I've answered, I've talked to people about this before. By the grace of God, I cannot say that in my almost 65 years now that I can really recount something that just devastated me, where I was just totally discriminated against. Now, there's been some subtle things that have happened. There's been some stuff that happened that, you know, I'm dumb to the fact and didn't even think about it until after it happened, and then I thought about it. But I'll tell you one moment I had 
that was kind of odd. We were in Mississippi. That's where my wife was born. That's where her family was raised and then moved out to Hobbs, New Mexico. But we were in Mississippi on our way back home. And this is back in the CB days. In fact, I think this might have been 1978. My dad had just, I found out when I got back, my dad had gotten killed. So we're on our way back home. We're driving down these old Mississippi roads. And I hear this conversation on the CBs. And I could tell that one of them is a black dude, and I can tell the other one is a white dude. And they're fussing and cussing and getting ready to shoot one another up. Okay? And then he said, well, he said, well, where are you? He said, well, I'm right behind you. This, the black dude says, no, the white dude says, where, where are you? He said, I'm right behind you. So about two minutes later, shoo, me and this car pass. I'm in a black Tornado. He's in a black Cadillac, and he's going south, and I'm going north, or vice versa. And I thought about that, and I thought, I wonder if that was that dude that was talking to this other dude. <clears throat> so we get on up here. Traffic starts slowing down, and... Uh, I noticed there's somebody pulling a trailer house, and, and this dude is pulling off. There's a little cafe there, and he's pulling off, and these cars are passing him. So I get up there to where I'm getting ready to go around him, and I get around him and start on down the road, and about 15 seconds later, this voice come on. Where are you going? Mm. And I said, Kathy, that dude thought that was me because I'm in a black car. That dude thought that was me. Ooh, it's time to get out of Mississippi. <laughs> so that, you know, that's a kind of a comical one to me, but I've thought about it for years. And I thought, you know, what would have happened if I would have just pulled over there to, you know, get some refreshments or to gas up or, or anything? You know, that, that would have been bad because he had a 45, this other dude had a nine millimeter, and I didn't have nothing except this right here. It's the sword of the spirit. That's it, sword of the spirit. But I mean, but it's just, and, and that's, that's one that the grace of God steered me around. But I, I really, I don't, you know, I was born and raised in L.A., left, was, you know, straight out of Compton back in 1968. Back then, life was a little different, but drugs and, and gangs and stuff were starting to stir up, and God, by his grace, saw fit to move us out of there. Um, I've, I've never just, like I said, never gone into a restaurant that people say you can't come in here, never, never been treated, you know, just, I, and I'm, I'm graced for that. But Kathy told me one time when they were coming from Mississippi, went to visit, coming back, they stopped at a, at a place to get some gas and to uh, use the restroom, and she walked into this restroom to use it, and her mom went and grabbed her and took her, said, honey, that, no, you can't go there. And she said, well, why not? Well, Ours is back here. And wow. the difference in the two were night and day. So, again, and that's still stuff that I try to just, you know, that happened years ago. I put it to the side. Have I forgot it? Nope, I hadn't forgot it. But I, this is what I find in my life. The more I think about stuff, the more it stirs me and the more I want to do something about it. So the bad things in my life, I try not to think about them very very much. I surrender them on the cross of Christ and I move on with positive things in my life. And that's why I'm, I stay joyful and I try to encourage people and lift people up. But I hadn't forgot about anything. I mean, it's there, but the blood of Jesus is surrendering it or has surrendered it. I've surrendered it to the blood of Jesus. And that's why I say I could fuss with the best of them. I can cuss with the best of them. I hadn't forgot how to cuss either, Judge Armstrong. I can still do that. <laughs> 
But I just choose not to do that. I choose not to hate. I choose to love because love triumphs over hatred. So I choose to love. I choose to forgive. We, we, the church needs to come to that place where they forgive. And I choose to walk in righteousness. I'd rather do right than I would wrong. And I'd rather, and, and I'm going to tell you something. I value my position as a pastor, as a father, and especially as a mayor. I value that. And I don't want you seeing Tony Wofford standing on a corner cussing somebody out or fighting with somebody because they called him something out of his name. I don't want you to see that. What I want you to see in my life and what the church should be wanting people to see in their life is the light of the love of Christ Jesus. That's good. That's what I want you to see. I don't want you to see me. I want you to see Jesus in me. Yeah. I think about the kids. Kids are not born, kids are not born racist. Uh, but kids are taught to hate. That's what Nelson Mandela said. Kids are taught to hate, and if they're taught to hate, they can also be taught to love. And I think we've got to figure out how to teach our kids how to love, and we've got to love better. Um, You know, this this whole conversation, I've been reading a book by Miles McPherson. Uh, He's a pastor in San Diego, and he talks about, uh, it's called The Third Option. It's really, really a a great book to help kind of shine some light and and educate ourselves. Uh, But he talks about that there's a right-hand bias in the world. And that the world is created by right-handed people. I mean, the, like the America was basically made for right-handed people, which is not an issue for me because I'm right-handed. Um, but, and so if you're right-handed, you're like, what are you talking about? But if you're left-handed, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Right? Because, because you know, you, you get a coffee mug, and the, these don't have words on them, but, but typically the words are, are right here, and I would read them. But if I'm left-handed, then the words are going to be backwards. Right, and and if you have, if you have, if you've been in school before, and you have to sit in that little desk, then you have to like, <laughs> write like this as a left-handed person. I mean, the world was made for for by right-handed people, and I don't think that's because right-handed people thought, well, let's let's make this intentionally difficult for left-handed people. But let's just be honest: our country was fo- founded by by white people, and as a result, we have created some systems that that make it difficult. If you're not white. And so I think one of our challenges is that the church of Christ, we have to come together to lean into not only the right-handed people, but the left-handed people, because the right hand is not any more important than the left hand. And when we're working together, then we're so much more effective. When the hands are working together and they're on the same team, then then it's just it's easier. And I'm so thankful we're having this conversation because and I was a little nervous, to be honest with you, because yeah. Because there's some, I'm probably not going to say, I'm going to say something wrong today. Yeah. And you might yeah. say something that offends somebody today. Yep. Um, but at least we're having the conversation. Yes. And I think we need to have just maybe some raw emotional moments where we can have, like I said recently, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I said recently, at the time I didn't think it was a bad thing, but I said that I'm colorblind. I've said that several times. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I don't, I don't see you, don't, you and value you any differently. Right. But to even say that, to say that I'm colorblind is, yep. is saying that I don't see our differences. And God's not colorblind. Nope. He created diversity. He yep. loves diversity. Yep. And so when yep. I say I'm colorblind, then I'm basically diminishing the differences that we have and that God created and that is beautiful about each of us. Amen. There are things that I think that we will say, and, and again, and I've said that to my black friends, and they're probably on the phone going, you're an idiot. But they don't <laughs> tell me that because they're kinder than I am. But I think there's things that we might even say that... that is there something that you can think of that, 
like a non-racist might say that you go, you probably shouldn't say that. Another one I think about is like when we say all lives matter. Yeah. Yeah, all lives matter. Right. 100%. Yeah. But black lives matter and all lives can't matter until black lives matter. Yep. And, and, and I, I heard another pastor say that this week is that when we say, you know, all, black lives matter and then and we say, no, 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 all lives matter. Right. Those are the same people that would be, you know, shouting at Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed right. are the poor. And he goes, no, blessed are all people, Jesus. You're like, yep. you can't, we, we can't. <laughs> yep. Black lives matter. Yep. And, and because they're the lives that we're talking about right now that are, they're having this injustice, then we need to be the ones saying, yes, black lives do matter. Yes, all lives matter. We know that. But right. black lives matter. And we need as, I think, white people need to be the ones that are shouting that from the roof, rooftops, especially in the church. But are there other things like that that you can think of that maybe we say or we shouldn't say or we should be saying? Yeah. Of course, we, you know, we don't call black folk the N-word anymore. Okay, that's, that's obvious. Um, boy, you know, boy. Now, back, you know, I was a rebel back in my day, too. And uh, that would stir me up. And, and I had an incident, Keith. You know, this is, this is 30 years into my born again experience and I'm you know I'm cool I mean I don't that nothing really affects me like that but I had a fella say that to me and he's a friend of mine and, and it was he didn't think nothing about it you know I'm going through the line the lunch line and I'm looking for a place to sit and I'm getting ready to sit right next to him so I just I, you know I'm a touchy-feely type person I you know I mess with folks so I kind of bumped and he said watch it boy and that went all over me I mean, it just, he didn't know it. Nobody else knew it. But it just, I mean, you talk about stir the flame. It was like putting me on, a, on an induction burner and boom, putting it on 1,500 pounds. It just, shoo, real quick. And I'm like, good God. And I sat, down, and I sat down, and as I sat down, I was talking, which that's when we get in trouble, when we talk. And I said, boy, I said, I got a 16-year-old boy at home, you know. And then, I, and then in the back, in my spirit, I could hear the spirit says, calm down, Tony. Cool down, Tony. <laughs> you know, I could hear the spirit saying yeah. that. So I, I did. I simmered down. And he didn't even, it didn't even affect him. He just kept on eating. But it ate me up because that's not who I am. And, and all the way home, I said, Lord, something's wrong. And, and let me tell you what he told me. He said, Tony. You've kind of shied away from your time, your, your, the period that you, stand, you spend with me, from your prayer period, from meditating on the word. You've kind of got caught up in the affairs of life, in the issues of life, work, taking care of my family, other issues. This was, you know, 30, 25 years ago. You've kind of got caught up in that, and you haven't been spending enough time with me. Mm. And when we don't do that, our flesh becomes alive. And any little stuff like that, can, can set it off. So I, I backed up. I repented. I, I, I even went and repented to him. And he looked at me like, for what? He didn't even know. But it was me. So the issue I, I began to learn was not what's around me, but it's, it's how I accept things. It's how I perceive things. So the issue is my heart. Let, let me tell you, we're, the Word is Life celebrated 30 years as a church in, in April. Hello, praise the Lord. That was, you know what, that was one of my goals is to not be just a church that start up and then boom, you know, a year later we're, done, we're through. And then the other was just stuff that the Lord had led me into. 
and this is what, doing my fasting and, and um, prayer moments, and this is what I used to do a whole lot of back in the 80s and 90s. I used to do a lot of fasting, and, and the Lord would give me some directions and stuff. And one of the things when we started The Word is Life we wanted to be is a church that was open to all people. We didn't care who you are. We didn't care who you were married to, whether you're black and white or white and black or swirl or Can whatever. I interrupt you and say that's supposed to be every church? Yes. I mean, that's the church. That's right. That's right. right? But that's a lot of church. times we, we use our religious bias because we yep. try to go to church with people who think like us and look yep. like us and vote yep. like us. Yep. But that's yep. not what the church is for. That's right. That's and exactly that's, right. Well, your heart for the church is my heart. for It's God's heart for the church. Yep. But, you know, this is what, and I've had people tell me this. You know, a white man walks in with a white wife or vice versa, and you may not ever have them say anything to you, but folks, you know, you can tell when folks don't agree with something that you're doing and they don't feel comfortable. And I knew that. So, so we set out to, to and, and let me tell you, a bunch of piercing and a bunch of other stuff that people are doing this day, Tony Wofford had to get over that. I don't have a pierce on my body, nowhere. And there's a purpose in it. I just, I didn't see no need in it. But then I had to not judge a person that, that came in all pierced up, you know? I just, I had to lay that down. I had to lay down anything else that I didn't like about him. Lay it down. So let me get back on the marriage deal. So I had a friend of mine call me up one day. He's got four months to live. They've given him four months to live. I've been knowing him for 30 years or so, worked with him. And... Um, he wants me to do his service. Okay, I can do that. And we get to talking, laughing and joking about stuff. Now, he uh, had told me years before that he had um, um, Cherokee blood in him, red blood, Indian blood in him, okay? So we get to talking. I don't know how we got on this subject, but he, I said something about interracial marriage we call it interracial marriage I, I don't like that I mean just marriage okay but she was white and he was black I said something like that oh he interrupted me well no I, I don't I don't believe in that I believe that apples need to marry apples and oranges need to marry oranges I said okay I said well let me tell you let me tell you something that you didn't know about me my grandmother was half white that means that means my mother is quarter so what does that mean I am he just looked at me. I said, you didn't know that, did you? And I said the same thing with my wife. I said, you didn't know that. I said, and the reason is, is because all you see is this right here. So now he's sitting next to his wife, who is white. And I said, didn't you tell me years ago that you had Indian blood in you, red blood? He said, yeah. I said, so why you marry a white woman? And he just, I mean, the blankest look come over his face, and she just broke out and started laughing. Yeah. I said, now let me tell you what I teach my kids, and I teach other people. Get off of that stuff, and marry the person that you fall in love with, no matter what they look like. No matter, if you're a believer, make sure you marry another believer, but the color of their skin has nothing to do with it. And he just kind of, and she was laughing. So when I said, when I opened up and said, be sensitive to things, that's another thing we need to be sensitive to. Because it happens. I, I'm telling you, it happens. You know, when I don't say a whole lot about a lot of things, but that issue happens. So if a, if a 
uh, Oreo marriage comes in here, they all, they folks, they people. Just love on them. I'm writing a book right now. It may take me 20 years to write it, but I'm going to write it. And it's called Love the Hell Out of Them. That's what Tony Wofford sets out to do. Love the hell out of them. Okay? So I think, I think when we become sensitive, when we become less critical and, less and more Christ-like, I think that we're going to see some changes. I want, to, I want one, other, one other quick story. In 1995, I went to a um, Promise Keepers. That's when Promise Keepers was going all over the United States. Okay, I went to an event in Atlanta, Georgia, and they were talking about breaking down the walls. And it was the walls of injustice, the walls of racism, the walls of prejudice, the, you know, all the different walls, unforgiveness, and I heard Jack Hayford say this. Now, this was 95. This is, what, 25? 25, yeah, 25 years ago. He said this, and I never forgot it. And they were a bunch of different speakers. And he said, you know, for years and years and years, in the, in the black pulpit, preachers talked about, they preached on everything. And they, they would, if, it, if they were discriminated against, they would talk about it. They would offer forgiveness. They would tell their people to forgive, turn the other cheek, do the whole thing. But he said in the white pulpit, now Jack's a white man, but he said in the white pulpit, we haven't done that. We haven't called it a sin. And when we call racism a sin, when we call prejudice a sin, when we call the critical hearts that we have and the and the judgmental hearts that we have of people of different colors, it's a sin. God didn't, didn't create us the way he created us, the different colors, for us to push one another aside. Mm. But if it, and this is what I tell folks, if it don't matter to God, why does it matter to you? So there's a, diff, there's a, there's a big, and, and let me tell you, black folk can be, Racist too. I'm not just, you know, it's just not white folks. It's just not brown folk. But all people can be racist. We're just in that, we're in that environment now. We're here in America. We need to change our culture. We need to change, we need to change how we think about stuff, some of our policies about stuff. Let me tell you what makes me cry. When I hear my nephews and nieces and, and, and my grandchildren in some instances being taught if the police ever stop you you put your hands on the steering wheel you don't say nothing you don't move you don't do anything and I'm like why the police are supposed to be our friends they're supposed to serve and protect we're supposed to run to them when we're in trouble but our kids are being taught now that we can't trust them you might end up dead if you do the wrong thing you're reaching for your license or you're trying to find your your information and they think you're going for a gun and they shoot you and that that's that permeates down into the hearts of people and until our hearts are changed until we get focused of who Jesus is and who we are in him it's not going to change Dan Patrick I believe it was him said something this past week did anybody catch that what was it your honor Okay, this is what I saw because it just kind of went across it. But the answer to racism, this is the Wofford translation, the, offer, the answer to racism 
is Jesus Christ. Until, until we begin to stand up and become the identity of who Jesus is in here, in us, it's going to continue. But when the church starts standing up and walking in love and forgiveness and be the glue that bonds this society together, until that happens, it's going to get worse. And, and we're on a slippery slope right now. So we've got to, we've got to rise up Amen. and be the church. You know, you mentioned several times, and we need to wrap up, but just change and repentance. And I think that's the key for us going forward. Um, I think there's a difference between guilt and repentance. And guilt's feeling bad for something, and that doesn't really do anything. I've left church feeling guilty many times and didn't do anything about my life to change it. Yep. Repentance is what's all over this book. Yep. In the Old Testament, changing your heart. It's actually changing direction. And in the New Testament, it's changing your mind. And so, like, we have to have a change of heart and a change of mind. So the thing that I would ask everyone to ask themselves, even those that are watching today on Facebook Live, is... What is in my heart about someone from a different race? And how did it get there? And then to repent from that, to have a change of heart and a change of mind so that you begin to think differently, speak differently, and act differently. And are you guilty of silence and indifference and apathy to where you don't empathize with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're not standing beside them? You're, you're letting them fight the fight. And that's, listen, we're the body of Christ. And I'm not going to let my right hand throw punches when my left hand's in my pocket. I, I, I want to I fight for them. Um, because, again, the right hand and the left hand work so much better when they're working together. And so um, I want to ask you to pray for us as we dismiss today. And I'd love for you to pray for... Um, Maybe those in the room that feel overwhelmed and they see this giant problem and they don't feel like they can fix everything so they don't feel like they can do anything. And I want you to pray for the people that maybe um, are wrestling internally with, with something that they say, you know what, I, I, I don't know how comfortable I would be with my white daughter and my white son marrying a, a black son or daughter. Um, but they would wrestle with that. That they would get alone with God in that. Because guess what? This gospel is not a white gospel. It's not a black gospel. It's a red gospel. Yes, and, it is. And his blood covered everybody. Yep. And so I, to pray for us in, in, in this way forward that we would not um, dismiss this issue. And listen, I don't want this to be a mission trip yep. where we come and, and we talk about it and we post about it. And, and then we show our pictures and then we go home. I feel like this is an issue that we need to bring to the forefront of the church and not just be anti-racist, but as one of my friends said, to be vehemently anti-racist until yeah. it's over. Yeah. We have to end it. We have That's to end it. it. And That's if it's it. happening, it's not, or it's not going to happen under our watch. Amen, everybody? All right. You know, pray for us? yeah, I will. Something that happens in bigger cities where you have a larger population of black folk, life is different. It's different than Snyder. I think our population is 3%. And we know it, we all know everyone. But it's, you get in a bigger place, it's a whole lot different. And I recognize that when I, when I go back to LA to visit my kinfolks, I recognize that. But I think if we'll turn a blinded eye to what that person looks like 
and see them as Christ sees them, we can make a change. We have to be the, we have to be the generation that changes. Amen. If we don't, I'm telling you, we're on a slippery slope right now. Corona's chasing us. Now this is getting stirred up and it's worldwide. The world is looking at America. What are you gonna do, America? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Pointing their fingers at us and we're supposed to be the leader. So if you don't mind, stand with me. I wanna say this to you. I, I didn't come to be critical. I didn't come to point fingers. None of that. I think if you know me, you know me. If you don't, I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to love on you a little bit. If, if you're standing next to a family member, grab their hands because we're going to pray. Father, we bow our, our heads before you this morning. And we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for your love, your kindness, and your tender mercy. We thank you for this occasion. God, I'm asking that this moment, the words that we spoke would be seasoned with your grace so that it would be as manna to the ears that heard and that it would be planted in their hearts so that we can come, that, so that the harvest that comes forth is one that brings you glory. God, we're not here to criticize, to point fingers, to point blame, but we stand before you your magnifying glass is on us. Forgive us this day where we have walked in unforgiveness. Forgive us where we've walked in judgmentalness. Forgive us where we've walked in racism or hatred or prejudice towards anyone because of their language or the color of their skin. God, I'm just asking you to forgive us. While we were yet sinners, you came to die for us. And now, as born-again believers, we have your heart. We're a part of your body. And God, we want to be useful, effective, and winning the world to you. So fix us today. We open our heart to you. We humble before you. We ask you to fix us. Forgive us. Heal us. Show us how to come out of this generational thing. Teach us how to love one another as you've commanded us to love one another. Teach us how to forgive when we've been hurt. Teach us how to forgive. Teach us how to forget it so that we don't walk on eggshells towards others. But we can boldly and confidently Walk before your people, knowing that you've forgiven our sins and that you've heard our prayers, and we forgive them that have hurt us. This earth still belongs to you, and we are your people. Thank you for the courage of this pastor. Thank you for the courage of, this, of the leadership in this church. Thank you for them. And God, I ask that you will multiply them tremendously. Pour out more of your grace and more of your anointing upon them for you to do your will in this place in Jesus' name. Now, I thank you today. I know you heard us. 
Every time we pray, you hear us. More grace. Amen.